series of lessons called Strengthening the Family. Since we uh, got so many families coming to our Upward Basketball games, we thought we ought to do something for our families to help make a strong family. Last week we asked, what is a family for? This week we're asking, how do you restore harmony in your home? And um, did you know there are five common causes of conflict in marriage? Let me give them to you real quick. Money. Any amens on that one? Sex. Having children. Communications. And in-laws. Speaking of in-laws, I actually heard a story about an American man who went on vacation to the Middle East with his family, including his mother-in-law. And while they were visiting Jerusalem, the mother-in-law died. And so with um, burial certificate in hand, he made his way to the American consulate to uh, make the arrangements to send the body back to the United States for burial. And the council warned, he said, you know, it's going to be expensive. Extremely expensive to send the body back. I mean, upwards of like $10,000. What most people do is just have the body buried here in Jerusalem. It only costs $300. Well, the man thought about that for a moment, and he said, No, I don't care how much it costs. I'm going to send the body back home. And the council remarked, Well, considering the great difference in price, you must have been extremely fond of your mother-in-law. And the man said, no, that's not it. There was a case here in Jerusalem many years ago of a person that was buried and on the third day rose from the dead, and I just can't take that chance. (laughs) Oh, I hope my mother-in-law is not listening on the internet today. Ruth, I'm not talking, I would never do that to you. But conflict is a common part of marriage problems. Would you not agree? Uh, Look up here on the board. Mark actually says in Mark 3.25, I think most of us heard it, a house divided cannot stand. Well, here's a couple modern speech versions of that. A family divides itself into groups which fight each other. That family's going to fall apart. Don't go doing that. Don't go fighting like that. A home filled with strife, this is the living Bible, and division, destroys itself. And and we don't want that for our families today. I, I think before anybody gets married, it should be mandatory that they take marriage classes that include conflict resolution. Because most of us do not know how to fight. You know, you can't drive a car until you take a class and then get a what? Driver's license. You can't even cut somebody's hair without taking a course and then passing the test. You can't trim somebody's fingernails in public unless you take a course. And yet we just jump right into marriage. No counseling. No courses. Just bingo. Here we go. And let me ask you a question. How many of you, before you got married, sat, had somebody sat down with you and teach you how to fight fair? Can I see your hand if there's anybody? We got one. We got two. Well, it didn't happen for us. You know where Jane and I learned to fight? From our parents. And that's probably where most of you learned to fight too, right? And guess where our parents learned to fight? 
from their parents and their parents before them and their parents before them. And they were all lousy at it. And boy, it was rugged. I think God in His infinite wisdom knew that when I married my wife, we would be 1,250 miles away from Whittier or from Paramount where we lived, away from Mama, because every time we fought, if she wanted to come home, we only had one car and she had a 1,200-mile journey to go. And that wasn't feasible. And so we had to duke it out. We had to work it out. And we had some doozies there in the beginning. I want to talk about the reason for conflict, the reaction to conflict, and then the resolution for conflict. Let's start with the reason for conflict this morning. And um, the Bible says the reason is conflicting desires. That's really what it's all about. And let me say this right up front. I want to take away any pain or stain that some of you are feeling during this series because I know some of you are going through some family problems or relational problems. Maybe the uh, immediate family, some of you, I've heard the extended family issues are happening, and, and I get that. Uh, what I am preaching to you this morning from the owner's manual of life is the ideal, right? And, and that's what you want me to preach. This is the standard. This is the ideal, But we are human beings, and we are fallen just like our forefathers before us, Adam and Eve. And with every fall, there is what? God's grace. And so never forget, yes, this is the standard. We will fall, but God's grace is there. And so remember that as well. James tells us the reason for conflict. James chapter 4, 1 and 2. What causes fights and quarrels among you? I don't know, James, what does? Don't they come from your desires? You ever have conflicting desires with your partner? He wants what he wants and he wants it now. She wants what she wants and she wants it now. Conflicting desires, your desires that battle within you. You want something, but you don't get it. And when you want something that you don't get, and he wants something that he doesn't get, sparks often fly. And I think marriage has built within it <clears throat> just sort of a built-in condition for conflict. Why do I say that? Because there are no perfect people, right? Wouldn't you agree with me on that? And you get one imperfect person and one imperfect person, and you come together in the holy state of mat- matrimony, and you get married. How can you possibly have a perfect marriage? By definition, you're not going to have a perfect marriage because nobody's perfect. And, and that's one of the reasons that conflict exists. You were created very uniquely by God to be uniquely you. But so was your spouse. And you're not exactly the same. Do you remember your first expectations of marriage when you first got married? I mean, she may have been thinking, oh man, it's going to be great. We're going to go out to dinner every night. He's going to open the car door for me. He's going to come home with flowers in hand, sometimes a box of chocolates, you know, candy. Uh, and, and then he's going to hold the chair for me as we sit and fine dine. You know, and help me out when I get up. Open the car door and we'll go back home. And it's just going to be wonderful. And then he's thinking, man, I can't wait till we're married and I have to stop going. I can come home to a home-cooked meal every night. <laughs> and, and there she is, the, the, the pretty woman, greets me at the door with a smile. 
I can already smell the aroma, the, the, the pot roast in the oven. And she says, oh, honey, it looks like you've been working hard all day. Come on in. Sit in your easy chair. Let me take your shoes. Let me get your slippers for you. And you just relax and read the paper or watch some TV. I'm about to finish dinner. And by the way, dear, I made your favorite dessert. Right. He's thinking this. She's thinking that. Man, when we got married, I stopped opening that car door a long time before. We dated five years, right? You know, I've been married my whole life. I think I was 15 when we first met, or when I first saw her. And, uh, but long story short, there's just kind of these built-in preconditions and, and expectations that we have of our spouses that are unrealistic. Needs that only God can meet. All marriages go through three stages. Number one, you have the happy honeymoon. And that quickly goes into the party's over. And finally you end up with, let's make a deal, right? Now let me just let you in on something. If you don't make it past, let's make a deal, it's not going to make it. Two imperfect beings coming together. You love God. Here's the standard. You're wanting to follow it. But in order, you know, you want what you want. He wants what she wants. He wants, you know, so you got this conflict. You've got to learn to come together around God's word. And I think the key is learning how to handle conflicting desires. Um, and you've got to know that you're uniquely wired one way and your mate is wired another way. Uh, I run hot. My wife runs cold. I mean, physically. She's cold most of the time. I'm hot all of the time. Even though my body core temperature, when I get it taken at the doctor's office, I've been back and forth with the doctor regularly for the last couple of months, and uh, I'm always like in the 97-degree range. But I feel hot all the time. My body core temperature's not hot, but I'm telling you how I feel on the inside. I run hot. Jane runs cold. And at our house, we had to learn to compromise and to mutually work on solving that problem. I remember years ago, I don't ever remember owning an electric blanket, but I remember uh, we were either staying at a friend's house or we'd gone, we used to go up to Mammoth once a year and we rented a cabin and we'd go snow skiing, usually with some friends. And I think there was an electric blanket up there. And the room that we had had an electric blanket, snowy. I'm sure my wife thought, oh, this is going to be great. Electric blanket, keep me warm all night. But it only had one controller. And it was on her side. And that baby was cranked up to 10. And I'm like dying over here on this side. It is very dumb if you got the differences that we have and you have an electric blanket without two controllers. Amen? So there's some things you can do. You can plan ahead, especially if you know each other's differences. You have conflicting desires, but if you're on the same team, you can mutually work those things out. So that's the reason for the conflict. Let's look at the reaction to the conflict. First of all, there's my way, no way, your way, halfway, and our way. Let's start with my way. You know what my way says? My way says, I win. It's always going to be my way. You lose. Um, my way is better than your way, so don't even think about it, buddy. I'm totally right. You're totally wrong. 
some of the dumbest fights that marriages go into, I have heard, I don't even think we did this, we may have done this. You know when you grew up at your house, some people put the toilet paper roll where it goes out this way. Others, you grew up in a home where it goes out this way, right? And so now you're married, you're living together, and honey, you put the toilet paper roll on wrong. What are you talking about? It's supposed to go this way. Well, in my house it goes this way, you're wrong. No, you're wrong, and boom. That is such a small issue, don't sweat the small stuff, all right? Some things there's no right way, some things there's no wrong way. So just get over the issues, those little tiny things, those annoyances, forget about them. If you squeeze the toothpaste from the bottom or you take it from the top, it eventually all gets used, so don't sweat the small stuff. Number two, no way. You know what no way says? No way says, I withdraw. You ever start going at it with your spouse and then you say, well, I'm done with this, and you walk away. You just pull back. You withdraw. That's not going to get you anywhere. That will not solve the problem. You will continue to have problems if you ignore it because nothing is ever resolved. And then you've got your way. You know what your way says? Okay, have it your way. Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, you know. Special orders don't upset us. They do, but they just act like they don't, all right? I give in. These are the peace at all costs, people. Well, I'd rather just give in, otherwise there's going to be a big fight, and I don't want to fight, and at least this is better than a fight. That's fine if you don't mind being a doormat, but that's, in the, that's what ends up happening. You become a doormat, and it's not the ideal. That's not God's way. That's not God's standard. And then you get to halfway, and you go, oh yeah, halfway, that's it. That's got to be it. I compromise. That's what halfway says. I give in a little, you give in a little. I win some, I lose some. But you know what? It's a compromise. Eh, Better than the first three, wouldn't you agree? But it's still not the ideal. It's still not the standard. It's still not what God would have. What is God's way? God's way is for a couple that come together and are married to say, we got a problem. Notice, we. We have to work this out where it mutually benefits both of us. How are we going to do this? You see the difference? It's we work it out together. We say, because I care about you. And because I love you, and because I value this relationship, how can we fix this? That's the biblical way. And now let's get the reason is conflicting desires, the reaction will be my way, no way, your way, halfway, our way, and then the resolution of the conflict. You think we're almost done because we're at point three, don't you? I've got eight things under this point. But let's quickly get to them. Number one, become a Christian. You go, wow, that surprises me. Why would that be number one? Well, I think it's the starting point because you really can't have peace with anybody else until you first have peace with who? God. God. Let the peace that passes all understanding guard your hearts. Where do you get that from? God. That's the starting point. Ephesians 2, verse 16 says, 
as a part of the same body. What body is he talking about? The church, the body of Christ. Did you know that the early church was primarily made up of Jews? Start in Jerusalem, all Jews. Then Judea, all Jews. Then Samaria, half Jew, half Gentile. Then the uttermost parts of the world, Gentiles. Now, the Jews and the Gentiles, did they get along? No. As a matter of fact, even their... I mean, you couldn't have a barbecue with your neighbor if your Gentile neighbor looked over the fence and says, Hey, want to have you guys over tonight? We're having a barbecue. What are you having? Pulled pork. Eh, we can't come. Why? They ate kosher. You know, and you know, the first thing that Peter said to Cornelius, the first Gentile convert, it was like 10 years after, it took 10 years for the gospel to get to us, right? This guy was a centurion, a Roman centurion, a military guy. The first thing Peter does when he gets to his house is says, he insults the man. He says, you know, Jews really aren't supposed to be in the houses of Gentiles, but God says I need to come and tell you the gospel. Great attitude, Peter. Super good. Yeah, we're really applauding that one. And then he has to defend himself back to the church in Jerusalem. So he goes back and he, he luckily brought some witnesses with him. Hey, didn't the Holy Spirit fall on them like us? You know, we, gotta, we, gotta, we got some explaining to do. So there's built-in conflict between Jews and Gentiles. And yet, you know what? What brought the peace? God. And where did he bring it? At the cross. So Jews were being saved. Gentiles were being saved. They were put in the same body. And that anger with each other has disappeared. Why? For both of us, Jew and Gentile, have been reconciled to who? God. You cannot have peace with anybody else until you first have peace with God. And so the feud has ended where? At the cross. Are you a Christian yet? That's your starting point. That's your starting point. Because just when you think you can't take it anymore and you're going to bust it all up, you go, no, I've been reconciled to God. God, I want to lift up your standard. I want to hold it high. And you move forward. Number two, talk to God about the conflict. That's just prayer. Talk to God. Before you talk to the person, first talk to God. James 4, verse 2, he says, you, you quarrel. Anybody in here quarrel? And you fight. Anybody in here fight? You do not have because you do not ask your spouse. Is that what it says? God! You know, some of us have unrealistic expectations of our spouses. We think that they're God, and they're not. You have certain needs that only God can meet. And don't expect your spouse to be able to meet those needs. Go to God first. Number three, analyze the problem. Analyze the problem. In other words, if you're having a conflict, say something like, how much of this is my fault? That's something we rarely do, right? We're always looking at what? The other person. Pure selfishness. You know, it's about me. And we never look at ourselves first. Before you start accusing others, before you start blaming, before you start attacking, check yourself first. <clears throat> because we all have blind spots. Jesus said something really, really funny in the first century in Matthew chapter 7. And it's not funny at all in the English. But if you were a Jew in the first century and you heard this, this is Jewish humor. You would have cracked up and you'd be rolling in the aisles. 
Why then do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the log in your own eye? <laughs> oh yeah, we got this big old log, you know, and hey, let me take that speck out. Bam, 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 bam. You're knocking everybody in the head trying to get to the speck in your brother's eye. That was really funny in Jesus' day. I like that Michael Jr. guy. He's real funny today. But that's Jewish humor. And Jesus was, is God humorous? You better believe he is. And Because and, Jesus was humorous. That's the way he spoke. And, and people really got the message, take out the log. Take the log out first in your own eye. And then you'll be able to see and take the little tiny speck out of your brother's eye. Are you getting this? How many of you got telephone poles in your own eye? Because you just don't see the, all you see is the specks in everybody else's eyes. Don't do that. Then, number four, schedule a peace conference. If you want to work it out, you're going to have to schedule some time to work it out. It's not going to happen automatic. Have you noticed that? You may have, you may have had something against somebody for weeks, months, and even years, and you've never gotten around to scheduling a peace conference to talk it over and resolve the conflict. Does that describe you? It won't happen automatic if you don't schedule it. And I literally mean schedule it. In Matthew 5, verse 23, he says, If you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar and go at once to make what? Peace, that's the peace conference, with your brother. Then you come back and offer your gift to God. What's, what's he talking about? Jesus is talking about going to church. And so here you go to church and you sit down in the pew and then all of a sudden you remember, oh yeah, I've got this conflict. There's a brother, a sister that I, I need to deal with. Jesus said, leave your gift there. Go settle that first, then come back and offer your gift. What's he saying? He's saying if you don't have conflict resolution going on in your life, then you cannot worship God properly. You just can't. You can try, but it will not work. Have you ever had a fight with your spouse on the way to church? Yeah, no hands going up on this one, but mine. Happened many, many years ago. B.C., before Corey, all right? Um, couldn't even tell you what it's about today. As a matter of fact, the next day, well, let me get to the story. And so we started in probably right after dinner. Seven o'clock turns to eight o'clock, and we're still going. Eight turns to nine, nine to ten, ten to eleven, and and we're now we're going all over the place. Have you ever been one of those fights that started out here and now it's this way over there, and you don't even know how you got there? And it's long about midnight, and neither one of us, we're tired, we've been up all day, and we're not even making any sense. And I was exhausted. But we both knew that the Bible said, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. In other words, finish your fights, work them all out, get some resolution before you go to bed at night, or it's just going to build up and build up and build up. And I said, you know, it's almost midnight, neither one of us are making sense. How about if we just... Call a timeout, 
We give each other a little kiss, get a good night's rest, and we'll start this up again tomorrow. (laughs) Well, she agreed. And so I reached out for a little kiss, and I get one on the cheek, right? Not even on the lips. And so I kissed her on the cheek, and we went to bed. (laughs) We were trying to honor God, weren't we? Right? See, most of the time you need to schedule a peace uh, conference. But the next morning when we woke up, I think I looked over at her, and she looked over at me, and I said, what were we fighting about last night? And she goes, I don't remember. And I go, I don't either. But that sure was dumb. Can we make up? (laughs) And, you know, God just took away that pain and that stain and just, woo. On occasion, God will give you some grace and some mercy if you're trying to do it His way. We didn't do it perfectly that time. But he took it all away instantly and showed us some grace and mercy on that fight. But most of the time, it doesn't work like that. Most of the time, you've got to schedule a peace conference and sit down and work it out. Let me give you some practical suggestions. Just two practical suggestions to a peace conference. Number one, choose the right time. Because some of you are morning people and some of you are evening people. God just wired you that way. You need to figure out a time where both of you will feel at your best and kind of work that out. Then, number two, choose the right place. The right place is usually someplace neutral. If you've got children, do it away from the kids. Um, if you have a cell phone, you shut it off. I know that's given some of you like anxiety separation disorders right now. But you've got to do it. No interruptions. Don't fight in the bedroom. That's an off-limits place. Bedrooms are for other things, not for fighting. And uh, that's about it. Choose the right time. Choose the right place. Does that make sense? Now you're ready for the peace conference. Number five, establish ground rules prior to the fight. You think, surely this preacher's about done because our time is almost gone. I've got seven rules for fighting fair, but quickly, go with me. Never compare. Never compare. In other words, don't say, well, why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you be more like your sister? Why That's what parents do to their kids. Don't do that. I'm talking about the family here, right? And spouses can do similar kind of stuff. Or you're just like your father. Or you're just like your mother. You know, those bad traits or whatever they are. Don't do that. God made us all unique, and it's unfair to compare. And then... Never condemn. In other words, don't use phrases like, you always, or you never, or you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Ooh, don't do that to your kids or anybody else. Only God has the right to judge. Start with I words. In other words, if there's conflict going on, say, you know what, I really need this from you. Or I feel this way when you do that or when you say this. And don't be a jerk like me and say, well, you shouldn't feel that way. (laughs) You ever done that? Don't tell your spouse how they should feel. You may not agree with the way they feel, but if they feel it, they feel it, right? And if I feel a certain way, well, I feel a certain way. I may be completely wrong in feeling that way, and you don't have to agree with it. You just have to acknowledge it. And wouldn't you agree with me that I statements are much less threatening than you statements so start with i 
And then never condemn. Never, or I'm sorry, never command. In other words, don't try to end an argument by force. This argument is over. I've said the last word. And uh, I command you to do what I say. Case closed. Don't be a parent to your spouse unless you want to see the temperature rise. Because it will rise. That is your spouse, not your parent. And then, never challenge. In other words, don't threaten. Threats do not work. Remember when you're in school? And someone says, I double dog dare you to cross that line. I don't know about you, I would cross it just to see what would happen. I was just curious. Well, in your marriage, we kind of do stuff like that. And we almost always take the threat because we want to see what's going to happen. Let me give you the three most common threats in marriage. Sex, money, and divorce. Never use sex as a weapon and never use the D word. Not even joking. Divorce should not be a part of your vocabulary. Rule out those deadly weapons in marriage. That is hitting below the belt. And threatening is really a mark of immaturity. And then never condescend. Never treat that person as inferior. Don't belittle your spouse or anybody else. And don't play psychologist. You know where I got this point from? My wife. I didn't even have to read a book on this. When I was in college, we only had one semester of uh, psychology. Dr. Gail Napier, Lubbock Christian uh, University. And I really enjoyed my psychology class. And uh, there was a part of me that wanted to become a psychology ma- major, and, uh, but I didn't. So when I moved to Whittier, uh, I wanted to further my education in that area. And so I went up here to Rio Hondo College. Um, where's Judy? Yeah, Judy, you were taking some courses up there about the time. And uh, we'd meet on campus for a time. Dr. Canarthy was my psychology teacher. And... Um, I remember going home after studying, you know, something that day, and Jane might say this or that, and I would say, I know why you said that. And, and then I would start psychoanalyzing and explaining in psychological terms that I knew she wouldn't understand because I'm educated and I'm the psychologist here. I had enough psychology to be dangerous. And man, I think it just wore and grated on her until I finally came to my senses. That will not... Don't play psychologist. Most of us can't even figure ourselves out, much less anybody else. Amen? And then never contradict. Never interrupt in the middle of a sentence. Do you wait to listen? Or do you wait to speak? when somebody else is talking. I don't know. That's, that's a tough one. You're in a fight. And it sounds like you're listening. But what's going on in your head? My comeback, right? You're already thinking about the comeback to what she just said. And you're not really hearing her. I don't do marriage counseling anymore. I'm lousy at it. I don't have a degree in it. I send you to Biola or Hope. they got good programs, and you can pay on a sliding scale. But I remember a few times in my marriage counseling days, I would bring this out. Does anyone know what this is? 
This is called a talking stick. On one side it says, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Here's how you use a talking stick. Here are the instructions on the bottom. Wow, that's small print. How do you use the talking stick? Only the person holding the talking stick is allowed to speak. Once that person feels understood, he or she passes the talking stick to the next person. Ooh, makes sense, doesn't it? I've only had to pull this out a few times. Some of you are going, where do I get one of these? You know what? You don't really need one of these. At home, open up your drawer and you probably have a spoon in there somewhere, maybe a felt pen. Just make that your talking stick and go by these rules. Uh, I would suggest you don't use a knife or a baseball bat, but <laughs> you've got some you know, harmless object in your home. Just use that. Does that make sense? And then never confuse. This is when you bring up some totally unrelated issue in the middle of an argument to sidetrack the person you're losing the fight with, right? You're losing it, so you bring up something like, what? What does that have to do with anything? And it's done intentionally. I say stick with the subject. Don't confuse people. And so let me summarize these seven things that we just mentioned in one sentence. Attack the issue, not each other. If you could just learn to do that, attack the issue. We're in this together. The issue's the problem. You're not the enemy. Stick to the issue. Proverbs 11.29 says, The fool who provokes his family to anger and resentment will finally have, what's the next word? Nothing. No thing. You want to lose your family? This, then don't obey the Bible. It's foolish to push those emotional hot buttons. Now, my wife knows mine. I know hers. Why? We've been together so long. You know your family members. You know your friends. Don't push those buttons. It's a foolish thing. And then number six, switch your focus. Move the attention from yourself to the other person. Philippians 2, 4, and 5 says, each of you should look. It's the Greek word skopos. Uh, it's the word for telescope. Look intently at. Or we got a microscope. You can look at that mic. You are Focused on that person. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of who? Christ Jesus. And what was Jesus' attitude toward the needs of others? He was always looking to their interests first. Love your neighbor as yourself. Put yourself in the center and put your neighbor in the center. Jesus drew a circle of his life took himself out of the center, and put you and me in the center. That's what Jesus was all about. And i got to admit, when I'm angry, I am preoccupied with myself. And so are you. If you want a magical sentence that clears up many conflicts and often ends them right there on the spot, look up here on the screen. Try this. I'm sorry. I was only thinking of myself. Now, after your mate wakes up from fainting, then you can continue and really get some things resolved. Is this making sense? Uh, conflict is caused by selfishness and immaturity. Number seven, ask for advice. One meeting probably won't do it sometimes if the problem is big enough. 
sometimes you may have to schedule a series of peace talks. And if that doesn't work, if you can't work it out yourself, I would say seek professional help. Seek a Christian psychologist. And there should be no stigma about that. You shouldn't feel bad about that at all. I mean, uh, if, if, if you've got a medical issue, where do you go? To a doctor. If you've got a legal issue, where do you go? To a lawyer. And if you've got a relational issue, go to a Christian counselor who can give you biblical advice from the owner's manual. Proverbs fifteen twelve. Conceited people do not like to be corrected. They never ask for advice from those who are wiser. Uh, and then 32. If you refuse to learn, you are hurting yourself. What is the price of your happiness worth? I guarantee you, Christian counselors cost a lot of money. Yeah, a lot cheaper than a divorce. Guarantee you that. Number eight, and we'll close with this. Don't give up. Don't give up. Hang in there. And if you're in a fight and you're working it out and you're trying to follow these principles, don't run. Don't walk out in the middle of the fight. Finish the fight. But do it in a godly way. There are three stages of conflict. Number one, stage one is recognition. We have a problem. Number two, reaction. It's worse than I thought. Now, this is the painful stage. Because once you acknowledge we have a problem and it's really, really bad, now you've got to do something about it. But this is the place where most families break down and they, it's just too painful. They don't resolve it. They either withdraw or handle it some other way. And then stage three, if you're willing to get through this painful stage, that's where victory is, resolution. What are we going to do about it? I like that word we, right? What are, not what are you going to do about it, but what are we going to do about it? Because we value this relationship, and we said, I do, I do, in front of God and witnesses to maintain this relationship. Many families never get past stage two and they never resolve anything, but it's more rewarding to resolve a conflict than to dissolve a relationship. We close with Galatians 6, 9 that encourages us to hang in there. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do, N-O-T, not give up. Let's pray. Now, I know that today's message has been very, very painful for some of you. And yet, I believe that God brought you here to hear this because you needed it, I needed it, we all need this. These eight steps. But you must start with step number one. Become a believer. That's where it all begins. You need peace with God before you can have peace with anybody else. Open your life to Jesus Christ. Give Him the good, the bad, the ugly, the past, the present, the future. Give Him all of your hurts, your fears, your heartaches, your resentment. Give Him your guilt. Commit your life to Christ. And then let Him drain the anger and the frustration and the hurt and the insecurity out of your life. You know, your marriage, your family, your relationships are not going to make it on human power alone. You need a higher power. 
You need God to give you a supernatural heart change. And so open your life to Christ, whether you are married or whether you are single. Only God can meet your deepest needs. And so stop looking for them to be fulfilled in another person. Look to Jesus. He will give you the will and the power to make things right. Would you say yes to Him today? I know two that have already said yes to Christ, and they're going to put Him on in baptism here in just a few moments. But you might want to say, Jesus Christ, I need need to give You my life and my family. Lord, I admit that I have done many things that are wrong. I've messed up. Father, help me to be unselfish, not to think of only myself, but help me to think of my wife, my husband, my children. Help me to think of their needs and the needs of others like Jesus did for us. But God, I can't do it on my own. Give me the power to do your will. And so I'm opening my life to you today in Jesus' name. Amen.